Ah, and we are live. Welcome back to Takes by Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch live, head over to takesbyfans.com slash watch. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show there on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So however you want to watch or listen, we've got you covered multiple ways. Alrighty, today's a big old Saturday, folks. We've still got one more film study to kind of break down, and that's Lamar Jackson. And once again, that's tying into our bonus pick of this week of betting on the Browns straight up, not taking the points, not swallowing the three points there. Uh, We're just betting on Kevin Stefanski. It's a big game. This game is truly going to kind of weigh heavy in our overall opinion on Kevin Stefanski as a head coach. So we'll watch Lamar Jackson from last week. We still got to kind of, you know, break him down as a pure passer. That's something that we haven't really been doing a lot this season, which is a huge narrative. You know, Lamar Jackson, we all know he can run, but can he pass? So we're going to break down that film study Raven Steelers from last week getting us all prepared for this week seeing uh, what Kevin Stefanski should really be shutting down and highlighting defensively for the Browns this week. So we'll get into that. Uh, We will play around with the playoff machine for this week, seeing how the overall playoff picture is going to look by the end of uh, Monday. What's going to happen on Monday Night Football? And uh, we'll see what the playoff picture is going to look like heading into week 15. Um, and then there's a lot of stories that we have, uh, not a lot, what do we got, one, two, three, four, about five stories to go over, one I can't wait to go over, story breaking today, broke around like 10, 11 a.m. Eastern today, can't wait to get into it and see what they're saying about it, it's going to be great, uh, so we've got all that, and then obviously we got to do our NBA Daily 10, baby, so let's start with that, let's get 10 minutes on the clock here, next 10 minutes of uninterrupted basketball talk of what just happened yesterday in the NBA, so here we go, 10 minutes on the clock in the 10 minutes start right now Alrighty, lots of games on last night and we had two bets going folks so we'll talk it all through but let's start here with the first game up kings at the hornets in the Kings, De'Aaron Fox with the chance to win the game at the free throw line, down two, misses the first one, misses the second one right here, and then Marvin Bagley gets the offensive rebound, puts it back in, that misses, so multiple opportunities for this Kings team to win, down only one point, and they beef it, beef it, beef it, beef it all the time, and the Hornets come away with the one-point victory, winning 124-123, to 123. so let's start here with the Hornets since they got the win. Kelly Oubre Jr. still in the starting lineup because LaMelo Ball Ball is still a no-go and Kelly Oubre Jr. is still doing great out here. I love it. Big time. We've got to truly give a round of applause here for Kelly Oubre Jr. We don't like him in the starting lineup, but him in the starting lineup when they need him because of an an injury, COVID-19, whatever LaMelo's got, uh, he is out. So Kelly Oubre Jr., big shout out to this man. 22 points, 2 blocks, two steals, five assists, six rebounds out on the floor, shot four of 10 from the three, 52% on 17 shots. We will give him that all day. Cody Martin still filling in at the starting lineup as well at the one, 19 points, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals, three blocks. I mean, holy cow, This the entire starting lineup got it done here for the Hornets. Uh, we got Vernon Carey Jr. at the starting five here, but just for 11 minutes, seven points and two, re- two rebounds. We have 
Miles Bridges, 23 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. And then Gordon Hayward to round out the starters, 19 points and 7 assists. But then we had this big old great bench contribution from James Bro Knight, 24 points, led the team in scoring, 6 rebounds, absolutely fantastic. And then for the Kings, De'Aaron Fox missing those two free throws. He shot 8 of 10 from the free throw line, but those were his two misses to potentially tie or to win the game, and he misses both womp womp but De'Aaron Fox still had 31 points four steals five assists two rebounds he's just not clutch truly unfortunate Tyrese Halliburton 15 points seven assists seven rebounds and then Terrence Davis for the starters 19 points and eight rebounds they got great contribution from Buddy Heald no surprise 25.6 rebounds once again he's not shooting well from three two of ten he's been on this little streak of threes that just have not been looking great he still gets the shot up that's what we know Buddy Heald does but his efficiency has truly not been here for the last maybe week week and a half and then Davian Mitchell off the bench, 10 points, 4 assists in 25 minutes, starting to get a little bit better out here. And then Marvin Bagley, who had that offensive rebound chance to win the game for them, misses on the putback off the De'Aaron Fox free throw miss. Marvin Bagley, 15 points and 10 rebounds. Unfortunately, just cannot clutch it up. Uh, Hornets get the win, 124-123. All right, next game up here is the Mavs at the Pacers. And once again, folks, the Mavs lose. This is not a good team, folks. Fat Luka Doncic is just not getting it done. Overweight Doncic is not getting it done for this Mavericks team. Pacers get the win, 106-93. to Let's start here with the Pacers since they got the win. Sabonis, 24 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, a plus 23 on the floor. The highest by far for the Pacers last night. Fantastic. Then we had Karis LeVert, 26 points five assists six rebounds four of seven from three and he was a plus 16 on the floor that was the second highest so they're getting it done we got miles turner at the five 17 points 10 rebounds fantastic and then malcolm brogdon at the one 12 points and eight assists very well done for the pacers getting the win and then for the mavericks luka Doncic, 27 points nine assists nine rebounds he shot awful from the three one of eight perzingis 22 points two assists two rebounds but that's all folks that really was it this is the remaining of the starters from last night Reggie Bullock in two in 21 minutes only put up two shots zero points Dwight Powell at the five in 22 minutes two points five rebounds and then Dorian Finney-Smith and in in 37 minutes of play in the starting lineup four points on three shots in six rebounds so there's just no other offensive production here besides kind of the main two of Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis and Porzingis still needs to just be a routine five man. Anthony Davis and Kristaps Porzingis just must be at the five position at all times, folks. Stop trying to work your way into the three, into the four, into the three even. Just stop it. Your bigs get down low. You can stretch the floor with the three, but you gotta get down low. And this Mavericks team really isn't going to be competitive in my opinion until they do get Kristaps Porzingis to play a true kind of five position. Um... Off the bench here, Tim Hardaway Jr. recently brought down to the bench, which is the best thing for this man. He was not getting it done in the starting lineup. Tim Hardaway Jr. off the bench, four, uh, 15 points, three steals, two assists, three rebounds, but he wasn't efficient. One of nine from three. Definitely got to step that up a little bit. And then Jalen Brunson off the bench, 14.7 rebounds, but no great scoring here by the Mavericks. We're staying away from betting them all the time, and it always pays off, as we see, because they're losing to the Pacers, folks, and y'all know how we feel about this Pacers team. Um, all right, so Pacers get the win 106 93. 
Then we get the Nets at the Hawks here. Close game, great game all throughout, but the Nets get it done in the fourth quarter and get the win 113-105 over the Hawks. So Hawks are, you know, competitive. I just don't know if they're ready to kind of beat the uh, the kind of tier one teams consistently here. Um but they have turned it around from the really early start of the season. So really solid uh, Hawks team here getting better as the season progresses. But here we go for the Nets. Kevin Durant, 31 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds. Classic Kevin Durant. James Harden, 20 points, 11 assists, 5 rebounds. Classic James Harden. And then Patty Mills, 11 points. Solid there. Wasn't efficient. 1 of 6 from the 3, 36% on 11 shots here. LaMarcus Aldridge in the starting lineup, 15 points, 3 blocks, 3 steals, 2 assists, 3 rebounds rebound stat sheet stuff and man oh man LaMarcus Aldridge folks sheesh I love what this man is doing here uh you know this year you know given that you know he's a little bit older shout out to shout out to LaMarcus Aldridge and then DeAndre Bembry at the uh four only played 10 minutes in the starting lineup two points off the bench, Bruce Brown, great uh, contribution here, 15 points and 5 rebounds. And then Cam Thomas, 11 points, 6 rebounds, able to be enough to get it done. And then for the Hawks, Trey Young, 31 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. He was balling all game long. Uh, wasn't the most efficient. He shot 25% from the 3, 2 of 8, and then 37% for the field on 27 shots. So it could have been a little bit better, but overall, we'll definitely take those 31 points. Kevin Herter, 19 points. We had Clint Capella, 14 points, 16 rebounds. And John Collins, 20 points and 6 rebounds. Timothy Luawe Cabaret truly let the team down a little bit. Zero points on 8 shots. Come on, gotta score something here. And then off the bench, just Dineo Gallinari with 13 points and 6 rebounds. Able to kind of make them a little bit more competitive, but still come up a little bit short in the fourth quarter. Nets get the win, 113-105. <clears throat> All right, then we get the Knicks at the Raptors. Close game here, but Gary Trent Jr. with a big-time three late in the game truly ices it. So, Raptors, another solid win. Are they are they streaking, or do we got a small little two, three-game winning streak here by this Raptors team? What do we got? One-game winning streak, five and five in their last ten. All right. Uh, so, with, uh, you know, uh, Gary Trent Jr. getting it done here for this Raptors team, 24 points, led the team of scoring, and like we said, that big-time three. He shot five of seven from the three. Fantastic. Fred Van Vliet, 17 points, 11 assists. Chris Boucher at the 5, 14 points, 8 rebounds. Siakam, 13 points, 12 rebounds. Scotty Barnes, 12 points, 15 rebounds. All able to get it done. Nothing great here off the bench, which is still our concern for the Raptors, but uh, unfortunately the Knicks, you know, they didn't have that great consistent scores throughout, so the uh, Raptors were still able to get the win. I don't know if we're buying the Raptors 100% just quite yet, but a win is a win. We'll give them that. So here we go for the Knicks. Still struggling with their guards. Yes, they're not using Kemba Walker, but uh, this may be the worst. This might be a bad decision to not use Kemba Walker. We didn't really love Kemba Walker for this team, and we were kind of actively voicing him for him to come off the bench. But just having him not play at all, it's truly hurting this Knicks team. I mean, they're using Alec Burks at the 1 and Evan Fournier at the 2. Sometimes they use Fournier at the 1, Burks at the 2. They're trying to figure it out here, but they're just not getting any production from any of their guards here ever since Kemba Walker has truly been taken out of the rotation here. So Alec Burks, one point on seven shots, five assists, five rebounds. Evan Fournier, nine points on three of seven from the three. He should be taking more than eight shots a game anyway, but he's got to be way more efficient than that. Nerlens Noel at the five, six points, two rebounds, not getting any big production from the bigs down low. Julius Randle, who was kind of the A1 tier one score on the, or the, just the number one score on this team, um, 13 points, 14 rebounds. 
rebounds. He's only taken nine shots. Then we have R.J. Barrett, 19.6 rebounds. He only shot two of seven from three, though. And off the bench, Derrick Rose, 11 points, but he shot 38%, four assists to go along with that. And then Obi Toppin, solid performance by him off the bench, 19 points and 10 rebounds. So still not really sold on this Knicks team. They got to get this guards, this, <laughs> this guard thing figured out here. And I don't understand why they're just not starting Derrick Rose. Let's juice up this offense a little bit here. And Derrick Rose is a great facilitator. Can open up Evan Fournier to kind of score a little bit more. That is our 10 minutes, but we still got a lot to go over, geez Louise. So we got to crank it up a little bit here. But start Derrick Rose. I want to see Derrick Rose in the starting one. I want this. I want to see the starting lineup to be Derrick Rose one, Evan Fournier two, RJ Barrett three, Julius Randle four, and Nerlens Noel five. I think y'all can win like that. Derrick Rose can provide that kind of great spark that y'all need to get out to good starts out here. And then having Alec Burks run the second team of Alec Burks, Emmanuel Quickly, and Obi Toppin. I believe that can get it done here. But they're just not experimenting with it. So we'll see what the Knicks do. But I don't know, man. Raptors get the win 90 to 87. All right, next game up here, Bucks at the Rockets, and this was one of our picks from last night. Rockets plus nine points, and the winner was the Bucks by nine. Dang it, it's a push overall. We don't hit it, unfortunately, but the Rockets were really dominant this entire game, folks. They really just kind of beefed it in the fourth quarter. Uh, first quarter, uh, Bucks scored 26 to 23 to the Rockets. Then in the second quarter, Rockets came back, outscoring the Bucks 42 to 32. Then in the third quarter, the Bucks outscored the Rockets 32-30, so really a close game heading into the fourth quarter and actually a lead there for the Rockets heading into the fourth quarter, but then in the fourth quarter, the Rockets beefed it. They got outscored 33-19. to So, nine-point loss here for the Rockets, uh, but we do push it. So, it's not a loss, folks. It's a push. It's, uh, it's I guess it's better than a loss. It's not a win, but it's not a loss. <laughs> uh, so, here we go. Eric Gordon, 14 points, six assists. Armani Brooks, 21 points, 5 rebounds. Love seeing Armani Brooks get it done, folks. Christian Wood, 21 points, 13 rebounds. And then Garrison Matthews, 23 points. And who didn't play the same game that we're so thankful didn't play this game? Daniel Tice. They would have lost by 20 points if Daniel Tice was in the game at all for any period of time. And then for the Bucks, a nice strong fourth quarter. Showing Giannis 41 points, 5 assists, 17 rebounds. A monster game by Giannis. Chris Middleton, 21 points, 5 assists, 8 rebounds. He played well, 5 of 11 from 3. We'll give him that. Bobby Portis at the 5, still getting it done. 21 points, 8 rebounds. Grayson Allen, 8 points, 2 rebounds, 2 of 7 from the 3. Alrighty, Grayson Allen not really kind of playing as well as he was, you know, in the beginning, kind of first month, first couple, you know, weeks there of the season here. But like we said he just is kind of the fifth option here if nothing else is going you can rely on Grayson Allen so we've got no problem with his overall offensive production being small with the Bucks still getting the wins and then Drew Holiday, 12.7 assists. And then off the bench, Pat Connaughton with big old 16 points and six rebounds. So Bucks get it done in the fourth quarter, get the 123 to 114 win. Then we get the Cavs at the Timberwolves, and we should have bet the Cavs last night. Darn it. But we know the Cavs are the real deal, so we will uh, use this information accordingly moving forward, betting-wise. But Cavs get the dominant win, 123 to 106 for the Cavs. Jared Allen, 21 points, 10 rebounds. Evan Mobley, 11 points, 8 rebounds. Laurie Marcannon, 19 points, 2 steals, 2 assists, 2 rebounds. Fantastic. Isaac Okruz, 16 points. Darius Garland, 12 points, 12 assists. And then off the bench, Kevin Love, big-time performance by this dude, 18 points. 
points, 13 rebounds in only 22 minutes. Yes, sir. Also, C.D. Osmond getting it done. This man is getting it done silently. And we knew when LeBron went back to Cleveland, he loved C.D. Osmond. And here's the reason why, folks. Solid, consistent offensive production off the bench. 13 points, a plus 9 on the floor in 27 minutes. Yes, sir. C.D. Osmond, fantastic. And then for the Timberwolves, the big three. Well, they didn't have D'Angelo Russell, so they had the big two last night. Anthony Edwards, only 13 points. He shot one of eight from three. A really not great classic Anthony Edwards performance that we are used to seeing. So, big drop off there. Carl Anthony Towns, 21 points, 7 rebounds. He shot 0 of 7 from the three. So, hurting the team overall there. And when those two aren't the leading scorers... You're not going to win, and then you need uh, that third score as well. So they just didn't have all that offense in a show last night. Cavs get the win 123-106. to Then we get the Pistons at the Pelicans. Pelicans get the win 109-93 over the Pistons. For the Pelicans, Brandon Ingram, 26 points, fantastic. Uh, Valanchunas, 17 points, 11 rebounds, getting it done like classic. And that's all y'all need to know. And then for the Pistons, Jeremy Grant, 11 points. And once again, that's all you need to know because if Jeremy Grant's putting up 11 points, that means everybody else is really lackluster. Um, Cade Cunningham will shout him out quickly. 16 points, 4 assists, trying his damn is still not enough to beat this Pelicans team. All right, final two games, Lakers at the Thunder, and thank goodness the Lakers win this game. They are getting trashed in the national media. They are getting trashed on social media. Do we necessarily agree or disagree? I don't really know what to make overall with this Lakers team. Um, we need once, – once Kendrick Nunn is healthy – and they can start running Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk off the bench here. And even moving Kendrick Nunn into the starting lineup at the two, which is probably most likely what they'll do. I think this Lakers team can get really kind of solid, consistent uh, overall wins here and get cleaned up a little bit in the national media. But Lakers get the win here, 116-95. Definitely a big needed win by them. Russell Westbrook, only eight points. He had seven assists and nine rebounds and five turnovers, but overall a plus 18 on the floor, and that was the second highest uh, next to LeBron James at plus 19 on the floor by getting 33 points, two blocks, two, uh, three steals, six assists, five rebounds, and shooting 65% on 20 shots. An absolutely amazing game by LeBron James, who's had an entire great season. It's not LeBron James kind of not getting it done for the Lakers, which is resulting in the losses. LeBron James is still playing absolutely fantastic even though that, that this man is, you know, 38 years old still getting it done, still getting it done fantastic. Dwight Howard starting at the 5, 1 point and 8 rebounds. And uh, off the bench here, Malik Monk only 6 points. Once again, not shooting good at all. 22% on 9 shots. He needs to be better, folks. We need Malik Monk to be so much better than what he is. But Lakers get the win, so I guess we can't knock it too much. And then for the Thunder, Shea Gills-Alexander only 11 points on 41% shooting. He had 4 assists. And Lugan Store 11 points as well. So the two big names here for the Thunder aren't getting it done. <clears throat> That's going to result into a loss every single time. And then the last game of the night our last pick our last bet of the night Celtics at the Suns we had the Suns only minus four and a half and that was easy value we loved it we took it we bet it we hit it folks Suns get the big old 21 point win uh 111 to 90 no Jalen Brown for the Celtics and they still flounder so uh, you know, Marcus Marr and Dennis Schroeder at the 1-2, and two, they're just not that consistent, folks. They have some good performances, but we know Marcus Marr's not consistent. That's going back to, you know, the since he's been with the Celtics team. And Dennis Schroeder's not consistent either because we saw that with the Lakers as well. So still not consistent here. They need that good, consistent production from the guards. That's the problem that the Knicks are also having. So Dennis Schroeder, he had 15 points, which isn't bad. I'll give him that. But three assists, three rebounds. And then Marcus Marr, 
Smart, four points on 13 shots. The man shot 7%. One of 13 from the field, folks. Absolutely atrocious. Robert Williams at the five, and he's a solid five out here. 10 points, five rebounds, nothing great, but he still has solid production out there. And then Al Horford, just, you know, a little bit older. Nine points, four rebounds, a minus 19 on the floor, nothing that great. And Jason Tatum, he had 24 points, seven rebounds. He shot one of seven from three, but still just not enough to get it done. Nothing great off the bench. Not developing any of their other young players here in this Celtics team. There's just nothing good about it besides Jason Tatum. That's it. And then for the Suns, we got Chris Paul, 10 points, 12 assists. Laundry Shamit still filling in for Devin Booker, 10 points. Uh, JaVale McGee, 21 points, 15 rebounds. Jay Crowder, 16 points, 9 rebounds. And then McCall Bridges, 14 points. And then off the bench here, Cameron Payne, 17 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds. Cameron Johnson, 16 points, 6 rebounds. The Cameron brothers getting it done, folks. So, Suns, easy peasy win. They cover the minus 4, no problem, win by 21, 111 to 90. All right, those were all the games last night. Is there any way we can make a little bit of money? We just hit uh, yesterday just overall a one-teamer because of the push by the uh, Rockets plus nine. But let's see if we can make a little bit of money back tonight. Or I should say, again, we didn't lose any money last night. Uh, but here we go. First game up, Magic at the Clippers. Magic plus eight. Clippers minus eight. Not betting the Magic ever again. And the Clippers, I don't know if we were able to swallow eight and a half just quite yet. They're on their way back up, trending upwards. But uh, we'll use this game as more information. Uh, then we get the Jazz at the Wizards. Jazz minus six and a half here, folks. Jazz minus six and a half. Wizards plus six and a half. Let's see who's all good to go here. Rudy Gay, game time decision for personal reasons. So, yeah, if Rudy Gay's not playing, folks, we know this Jazz team is deep. Um, uh, yeah, Hassan Whiteside, but can Hassan Whiteside handle an entire game at the five? We like Hassan Whiteside, but coming off the bench. And then for the Wizards, it's just Thomas Bryant out. Um, so, Jazz minus six and a half. Ooh, I, ooh. If Rudy Gobert was definitely playing, I would definitely take the Jazz minus six and a half, uh, but with that game time decision for personal reasons, he probably skips this game. Um, so we'll stay away from this one. Then we get the Rockets at the Grizzlies, and we're not going to bet this one. We just bet the Rockets last night, and we're not going to bet them on the back-to-back, -back, even though the Rockets plus eight seems like good value for the Rockets. What do we got? Uh, Kevin Porter's a game time decision, which we definitely need in, and Daniel House is also a game time decision. John Morant is still out. Brandon Clark is out. Dylan Brooks is out. Damn, oh damn. Big old outstanding for the Grizzlies so Rockets plus eight is looking like good but betting on back-to-back -back, it always bites us in the butt folks even when it looks like good value it's usually not we gotta stay away from it let's not push our luck we had a great night yesterday then we get the Bulls at the Heat. Bulls plus one, Heat minus one here. Uh, for the Bulls, what do we got here? Bulls out are DeMar DeRozan. Alex Caruso is a game-time decision. Derek Jones is out as well, so that's truly unfortunate. He was able to get his shine without DeMar DeRozan. So Derek Jones Jr. also out. That's truly unfortunate for the Bulls. Truly unfortunate for us that we can't see him you know, play out there. We love watching that man play. So athletic, so explosive. Such a great watch on television. And then for the Heat, Jimmy Butler still out, Bam Adebayo still out, Markeith Moore still out. So a lot of outs here in this Bulls team. Left a little bit bad of taste in our mouth, losing to the Cavs in their, in their last outing. So we'll stay away from this game as well. Then we get the Kings and the Cavs and both these teams coming off of back-to-back -back games. So we're going to stay away from this one. Kings plus six, Cavs minus six. 
Now we get the Warriors at the 76ers. Alrighty, now we might be cooking here. Warriors minus three, 76ers plus three. In this 76ers team, folks, they have just been in close games after close games after close games that they win, folks. Let's go back a couple of games here. Let's go back to the start of the month, December 1st, folks. Against the Celtics, they lose by one, 88-87. Then uh, against the Hawks, they win by two, 98-96. Then against the Hornets, they win 127-124. Then the Hornets again, they win 110-106. And then against the Jazz, they lose big time because it's the Jazz and the Jazz are good here. So I don't know if there's any bad ability with this 76ers team just quite yet. Remember, you know, they're trying to get everything back together because Joel Embiid was out for a substantial period of time here with the COVID-19. Now that he's back, they're trying to get everything back to what it was in the beginning when they were really dominant. But for the Warriors, uh, Andre Iguodala is the game time decision. And for the 76ers, everybody's good to go here. So I'm taking the Warriors minus three, folks. The offense of the 76ers has just not been that great tier. And Draymond Green's a good defender. And I think he's going to be able to help out with uh, Joel B down low. So we're going to swallow the three here with the Warriors on the road. Uh, Steph Curry, 10 threes away from breaking the record as well. I doubt it comes tonight, but he's trying to get it done quickly as possible. Uh, so Warriors minus three, I'm liking it. And then the last game of the night, the Nuggets at the Spurs. And, you know, we don't bet the Nuggets here. And uh, they just played the other night. So this is a back-to-back -back series. So we're definitely staying away from it. Spurs got the upper hand in the first meeting, winning 123-111. to uh, The spread here, Nuggets minus one, Spurs plus one. No bettability on the Nuggets, in, but, you know, in the back-to-back -back series. We don't love that either. So we're going to go with one game tonight, folks, and that's just the Warriors minus three. Loving the value here. Rockets plus eight is appetizing. I'm going to leave that to y'all. If y'all bet the back-to-backs, then bet this game. If y'all bet back-to-backs, the Rockets plus eight is a great bet. We don't like to bet back-to-backs. They always bite us in the butt. So we'll just play it safe here and go Warriors minus three. Alrighty, that is all the NBA that we had to go over for today. So let's shift gears a little bit to the NFL. And before we get into our final film study of watching Lamar Jackson from last week, let's uh, talk about some stories that we have not been able to kind of get into uh, throughout the week and the one breaking news story about Urban Meyer that just came out a couple of hours ago. Can't wait to get to that. So let's start here with the first one. And this is going to go back to, you know, we broke, you know, everyone's talking about Chase Claypool on the, uh, you know, the Thursday night football game, Steelers at the Vikings, uh, celebrating a fourth and one, not getting up to spike the ball. But some person uh, put the back-to-back -back, um, uh, films with Larry Fitzgerald catching the ball and going up and spiking it and then compared it exactly to Chase Claypool. And, you know, once again, I, I still i am not placing that much blame on Chase Claypool. I think I undersold it at 20%. We, saw, we said it was Chase Claypool's fall to 20%. Um, I think I want to bump that up to, like, maybe 30%. But I, I don't think I need to go any higher than placing 30% of the blame on Chase Claypool because this Larry Fitzgerald tape actually kind of, you know, kind of, you know, kind of says and shows exactly what we were saying on why this isn't all on Chase Claypool's fault. So here it is, frame by frame, side by side right here. Larry Fitzgerald, he was way past the left hash, so he had to get up frantically to go and place the ball. Chase Claypool, they're both down right now. Chase Claypool celebrating in the time that 
it took Chase Claypool to celebrate. Larry Fitzgerald just got to the left hash where he had to go and run to. We knew Chase Claypool was already basically on the right hash. So at the same moment when Chase Claypool was going to hand the ball to the ref coming up, Larry Fitzgerald just got the ball to the ref. So I don't know if this video is truly doing justice to all the narratives that Chase Claypool deserves all the blame, which is basically the 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 only opinion that's out there. Um, because like we said, folks, it, it was the ball being knocked out of Chase Claypool's hands by the other Steelers player because the other Steelers player thought he knew better than what Chase Claypool was doing overall. So I think right here, right here, Chase Claypool was going to give the ball to the ref. Ref going to place the ball right now. I don't know, folks. I still am not placing really that much of the blame here on Chase Claypool. And when we have the videos, you know, side by side together, I think it does chase Claypool a little bit more justice than what everybody's getting him credit for so that's our opinion on it that's our take and now we've got the footage back to back side by side so not giving not knocking chase Claypool that much still a little bit 30 percent we've upped it to 30 percent but that's really as high as we're going Alrighty, next up here, Texans are naming Davis Mills the starting quarterback for the remainder of the season, and we believe that is the right decision. Tyrod Taylor's not doing anything good here for this Texans team. Now, Davis Mills has not been good at all for this Texans team. Tyrod Taylor has been putting up more points than Davis Mills has, and I think I can bring the, up these stats really quickly here. Davis Mills has been atrocious offensively here for the Texans, but we do know that the Texans have such lackluster pieces all over the field. They've got really one good wide receiver in Brandon Cooks and then the one good running back that they have in David Johnson they don't even use and then they had Philip Lindsay and got rid of him and didn't even use him when they had him so there's really just no good pieces uh, anywhere here but I mean Davis Mills was not putting up the points here here we go this season Davis Mills, game one that he started, uh, he put up 21 points, but I mean, he threw 44% and he only uh, he threw for 100 yards, so he was not the one, you know, putting up most of the points there. Week two, they put up nine points. Week uh, Game number three for Davis Mills, he puts up zero points. Guys, gets shut out 40 to nothing. Next game, he puts up 22 points against New England. Has a really good performance here. 72% uh, completion percentage, 312 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. They still lose the game, but he had a really good game there. I'll give, uh, but that was, you know, in the first half, it was all going good, remember? And then in the second half, they shut him down, and they he could not do anything. So one good first half, not a good second half. Uh, so overall, complete game, kind of 50. 50. Then the next game, they put up three points. The next game, they put up five points. They're back to putting up 22 points here. 22 points against the Rams. Yeah, it was, he played good. 76% completion percentage, 310 yards, two touchdowns. He threw a pick, but ended up still losing by 16 points to the Rams. And then his last game that he played, uh, zero points against the Colts. So Davis Mills doesn't really give you anything great there production-wise. But like we said, there's no weapons. And Tyrod Taylor wasn't doing anything that great either. A lot of interceptions and kind of, you know, scoring territory and all that, not being kind of a true veteran. Uh, so when both of the quarterbacks are putting up nothing great offensively, let's just go with the rookie and see what he can do. We know what Tyrod Taylor can do. It's nothing great. He can't um, uh, increase the level of play and production by the lackluster weapons. Now, Davis Mills can't do it either, but once again, he's got a higher ceiling because we don't know what he looks like truly. Um, so let's quickly see what these 
uh, quotes here by David Culley and why he's making the decision to start Davis Mills for the remainder of the season. So let's see what we get here. The Texans are turning the page under center in the final five weeks of the 2021 season. Rookie quarterback Davis Mills will take over starting duties for the remainder of the season, Coach David Culley reported uh, on Friday. A quote here by David Culley, quote, he gives us the best chance to win. Now, um, we read all those point totals, you know, zero points mostly. That's nothing great. But once again, Tyrod Taylor doesn't do it either. So I don't know if I truly believe that Davis Mills gives you the best chance to win. If you're looking for the best chance to win, I still go with Tyrod Taylor just because he does have that veteran presence and that little bit of dual threat ability um, overall. So if you're going for best chance to win, I still think it's Tyrod Taylor. So I don't know if I believe uh, David Culley here, but all right. Let's see what else we get. What else did he say? Quote, I wouldn't have liked it either, but this is a production business. I'm um, talking about the news didn't go over well with Tyrod Taylor and David Culley says I wouldn't have liked it either but it's a production business it is a production business but you know Davis Mills was not doing anything productive either he had one good half against uh, New England Patriots and that was really it and you got no wins under Davis Mills where Tyrod Taylor I believe gave you two uh, correct let's go to Tyrod Taylor see what he's been doing uh, points wise and all that and I think he's got this Texans team for two wins he won his very first first game here and then oh that was it so they've only got one win oh no yeah two wins they beat the Tennessee Titans so two wins there and that Tennessee game was a big game division rival all that I don't know if David Mills would have been able to win that game even though the Titans didn't have Derrick Henry and all that so this is what Tyrod Taylor's been doing. 37 points week one, 20 point, 21 points a second uh, start, 9 points against the Dolphins, 22 points against the Titans, 14 points against the Jets, and then 0 points against the Colts where they both played. So... I don't know, man. I don't. Uh, both these quarterbacks are nothing great. It's not like one's so good and one's so bad that like you're making such a bad decision by going with the rookie, the bad quarterback in this scenario here. So, yeah, if I'm Tyrod Taylor, I'm not liking it either. It's like in Tyrod Taylor's mind, it's like, hey, we're doing the same thing, and I'm actually getting the wins. I've got two wins. He's got zero. He's got a little bit more games than I have. So, what are we doing here? So, I understand Tyrod Taylor's frustration, but David Culley, I think, is overall making the right decision because he is still a rookie. Davis Mills is still a rookie. We may be able to get him better and better and give him that experience. And once again, what is this experience giving doing for Tyrod Taylor? Is he going to be able to get better? I don't know. The man's a veteran, folks. He's been in the league since, what, 2015? Uh, 2011, geez Louise, uh, got his first start in 2015, his first official start in 2015 with the Bills. So... I don't know, man. Uh, what else do we get here? David Culley say anything else here? We get any other quotes here? And those were the two quotes. All right, so great article. <laughs> so David Culley making the switch to Davis Mills. We like the decision overall. I don't know if I agree with his reasoning that Davis Mills gives more production than Tyrod Taylor. I don't agree with that. Alrighty, quick story right here. Jason Garrett, obviously we knew he was fired from the offensive coordinator for the Giants. And there's really, I don't know if we give Jason Garrett another chance in the NFL until he reproves himself somehow. Uh, obviously don't want him as a head coach, don't want him as an offensive coordinator. I mean, there was so much weapons and talent on that Giants team offensively. And yes, Saquon Barkley did get injured, and I get it. And the wide receivers were all in and out of the lineup the entire year. But at some point, you must get it together. 
and we still didn't see that great um, next step by Daniel Jones. Year three, Daniel Jones, he didn't take that big step here, and that's once again a little bit on Jason Garrett's fault a little bit. You're the offensive coordinator. You're the guy. It, it does have to fall on your head. It's unfortunate. But uh, this reporter, Susie Kolber, uh, says he she's hearing Jason Garrett is the front runner for the Duke head coaching job for football. She says, having witnessed Jason behind the scenes speaking to slash teaching young men incredibly powerful and truly inspirational. A great fit. And she says she hopes it happens. Now, Jason Garrett may be a little bit better to kind of the younger kids, the college age kids. I mean, we know, you know, coaching, you know, uh, teens, young adults, young men is truly different than teaching grown 30-year-old men. That's why Urban Meyer is not having success here in the pro level where he was having success in the collegiate level because he can maybe be a mentor to the young men and all that. Jason Garrett may have kind of that same thing. Hey, I'm not great coaching kind of the men, but the young men I can kind of get to. I can, you know, break in. And my kind of overall coaching philosophy resonates a little bit more with them. And I'm not knocking Jason Garrett for saying that. Obviously, it's hard to coach grown men. There's only 32 head coaching jobs in the NFL where when you look at college, I mean, take your pick. I mean, you've got trash teams. You've got good teams. You can really go wherever you want to college, and there's so many more opportunities. So, Jason Garrett most likely going back down to the collegiate system. We'll see what he can do there and maybe work his way back up to the NFL. It's going to be tough, but we'll see what he can do here if he gets the job at Duke. So, be on the lookout for that potentially to happen. All right, next story up here, Aaron Rodgers facing the Bears here. And we know the last time he faced the Bears in Chicago, absolutely destroyed them, uh, scored a touchdown, and the fans were booing and middle-fingering Aaron Rodgers. And then we get the famous Aaron Rodgers. Hey, I own y'all. What are y'all talking? Why are y'all dissing me? I own y'all. Why are y'all dissing the master out here? What are y'all doing? Um, so we all know how that went. And now it's getting brought up again this week because Aaron Rodgers is facing the Bears again this week. So Aaron Rodgers says he quote, I don't regret saying at all, saying it at all, yelling, you know, I still own you to the fans. And yeah, I've got no problem problem with Aaron Rodgers kind of sticking with it and being like, yeah, I don't, why would I regret? Is it, is it not fact? I mean, that's what he goes on to say in the next uh, quote right here. He says, quote, I don't know what you can question a whole lot of what I said. We have gotten the better of them the last 27, 28 times we've played them for the most part. So yeah, there is, this is just a true statement. Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. That's what it is. If you don't like it, then go out and beat them. You're 12 and a half point underdogs here, folks. I mean, geez, you know, play with some pride, Matt Nagy. Truly, I mean, if you don't like it, then you go out and coach your men to go out and beat this man. To stop all the kind of uh, disses by Aaron Rodgers, all you have to do is beat him. You can shut him up by beating him. That's how you do it. So I've got no problem with Aaron Rodgers kind of saying this. Hey, I don't regret it at all. What, what do you mean? This is fact. What I said, it was fact. I didn't say any lies there. I own them, and Aaron Rodgers has owned the Bears. Um, so just, ab uh, yeah, so, and this is another reason why we want to stay away from this game overall, and it's not one of our picks, and, you know, in our 99% guarantee picks this week, we, we took all big spreads, swallowing 8, 9, 10 points. 
And the reason why we stayed away from this Packers game is because I believe there's just too much emotion caught up into it now. With Aaron Rodgers doubling down on his I own y'all statement. So now he has to go out there and actively own them or he's going to look like a, you know, a schmuck in the end. And then with the Bears, a lot of emotion on that side as well. Green Bay is getting dissed. Dissed the last time Aaron Rodgers owned them. You know, dissed again this week, getting it re-brought up. And they want to go and prove that they can get it done and win this game. And they're on the road. So maybe they try to do a little bit too much. Maybe they're trying a little bit too much to win the game and to prove Aaron Rodgers wrong. So they can have the last laugh um, this season, I guess. So it's just way too uh, emotion-filled for my liking. And because of that, I'm not swallowing 12.5 points. And I'm not taking 12.5 points with the Bears. What are you nuts? They're trash. Aaron Rodgers owns them. Where's the value in that? So just too much emotion in this game. We're staying away from it. Uh, I wanted to see if this line has changed. And it hasn't still. Bears at plus 12.5. Packers minus 12.5. But the Packers minus 12.5 is at plus 100. So we see kind of all the money so far going to the Bears plus the points. So we'll see how it goes here, but a lot of motion wrapped up in this game. We'll say no thank you and just enjoy Aaron Rodgers on Monday Night Football own or on Sunday Night Football owning the Bears. Alrighty, and then the last story to go to the one we can't wait to talk about, folks. Sheesh, man, oh man. When I saw this story drop, I was like, I cannot wait to read this and see what's going on here today on the show. So, like we said, this broke today. This came out at 1049 a.m. Eastern, two days, so brand new story about some things not going right here for the Jaguars, and especially Urban Meyer. So let's read this article, and let's see what dysfunction Urban Meyer is uh, having here with the Jaguars organization. And uh, didn't we just, uh, we just updated our worst coach in the NFL slide here that we have, um, and we said it was Matt Rule is the worst coach in the NFL right now. So we'll see if we have to change that to Urban Meyer. We had it as Urban Meyer. We changed it to Matt Rule. Let's see if we have to go back to Urban Meyer being the worst head coach here in the NFL. So the tweet... Leading up to the article right here, months of tension surrounding Jaguars coach Urban Meyer has boiled over with multiple run-ins with players and other coaches in recent weeks, renewing questions in league circles about whether Meyer could be out after just one tumultuous season. And man, oh man, how truly unfortunate would that be by Urban Meyer? I mean, couldn't get it done here in the uh, pro system like Nick Saban, a little bit of black marks on their overall coach resume yeah you could get it done in college but you can you had a good program I mean you pick the players you don't get the best players here in the NFL you have to go out and try to be good first of all to attract those players and then you know work the money around it so can't be playing paying the uh, the NFL players under the table like you could in college right urban um, so let's see what we get in this article let's see what's been going on here in the Jags organization and uh, probably why the Jacksonville Jaguars should have been on the end season of hard knocks this year because that would have been more entertaining than the Colts no all right but here we go let's read this article and let's see how it's going on with Urban Meyer and see if he truly is the worst head coach and should be fired so here we go. Months of tension surrounding Jaguars coach Urban Meyer has boiled over oh he just copied it 
All right. I guess he did write the article, so he just copied the first paragraph as the as the tweet. Okay. So that's uh, – you want to read it again? Here we go. Months of tension surrounding Jaguars coach Urban Meyer has boiled over with multiple run-ins with players and other coaches in recent weeks, sources say. Renewing questions in league circles around whether Meyer should stay in Jacksonville – or Ma- Meyer stay in Jacksonville could end after just one tumultuous season. At this point, there's there are no signs that Jaguars owner Shad Khan is seriously considering a change. One of the NFL's most patient and supportive owners, Khan dreamed for years of Meyer, a three-time college national champion at Florida and Ohio State, coaching his team and overhauling the culture of a franchise accustomed to losing before finally luring him out of retirement in January. But sources say Myers' repeated public comments shifting blame to players and coaches amid the team's 2-10 season has exacerbated frustration in the building with his hard-changing and sometimes condescending approach, a style that many observers believed wouldn't work in the NFL even before the Jaguars hired him. And once again, coaching young men and coaching grown 30-year-old adults is two different things. Once again, Urban Meyer um, after... After, you know, a loss going out on the town and getting a lap dance by a strange woman at a bar, that would go well with the young kids. They'd be like, yeah, get a coach. Yeah, coach. Yeah, coaches. What's up? All that. With grown men, they're like, they got families at home. They're like, what is this clown doing? This is not a grown man over here. Why should I be listening to this man? This man's heading the team and he's going out and actively cheating on his wife. They're not going to respect that. So, you know, Urban Meyer shifting blame, being like, hey, it's on the players. And, you know, it is on the players. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has really not been that great or even really that good. Uh, But still, Urban Meyer, you're the head coach. You, My philosophy as a head coach, you always take the blame. You never let the players get criticized. You always take all the blame in the the media, what you put out there. Now, internally, in the buildings, when it's only you and the team, then, you know, you go out and do your coaching thing. But whenever you're asked in the media, I would always take the bullet for my players. I don't want my players caught up with answering the questions or taking the blame or anything like that. I would always do that as a coach publicly, but privately, then I'd get my coach on, and that's how we would handle it. We'd keep everything internal. I'm not letting y'all in. I see what y'all do. Y'all are vultures out there. What are you, crazy? I'm keeping everything in-house. All right, back to the article. Entering Sunday's visit to Tennessee, the Jaguars have lost four, lost four games in a row in five of six since their Week 7 bye, averaging just 10.7 points per game in that span. One of their players, running back James Robinson, was benched last week under clouded circumstances. Franchise quarterback Trevor Lawrence, who was shown flashes of why Jacksonville selected him number one overall in April's draft, is completing just 58% of his passes for 2,500 yards with nine touchdowns and 10 interceptions. All that is trash. 58% completion percentage is absolutely garbage. Nine touchdowns to 10 interceptions. I mean, that's negative touchdown to interception ratio. That's absolutely trash. 2,500 yards. What are we, 13 weeks into the season? That's a little below, a little below par, a little below par. Um, And just once again, not getting it done on third down. Once again, we watched this man in our Wednesday film study. He does not get it done. They go kind of, you know, their drives are quick because – Trevor Lawrence cannot pick up the third down. He dinks and dunks. He looks for the check down route way too much, and he's not aggressive at all with the football. So I understand Trevor Lawrence holding this team back, but at some point, Urban Meyer, you're the coach. You have to get it done at the end of the day. You must figure it out. You are there for the answers. It all falls on the head coach at the end of the day. It's unfortunate, but that's the position. That's what it is.
All right. Next uh, paragraph here. And while the Jaguars opted not to fire Meyer in September after he stayed in Ohio instead of taking the team playing home after a week four loss to the Bengals, only to be captured in viral videos at a bar with a young woman who is not his wife dancing close to his lap, sources say Meyer hasn't adjusted his approach. And how do you not adjust your approach? Wasn't he so apologetic and, you know, in the he couldn't even look at the media when he was answering the questions the following day and all that? but now he's back to doing the same thing. He didn't learn his lesson then. I mean, if you don't learn your lesson getting caught in 4K, cheating on your wife after a loss, I mean, what is going to change Urban Meyer's philosophy and coaching stance and all that? Nothing, folks. It's nothing. So, so far, yeah, you got to fire Urban Meyer, honestly. I would have fired him right after that loss. I mean, what the hell are you doing? Um, Going out on the town, cheating on your wife, making a mockery, and not putting in the full time time and work. I mean, we hear all the time that, you know, these players are away from their teams all the time because they have to go and practice and play and they're on the road and all that. So they can't see their wives. They can't see their family. All those grown men players are going through the same thing. And then they see Urban Meyer and they're like, how can you, how can I respect that moving forward? You can't, you lost the locker room from that point on. And I don't know if you ever get it back from that display. I don't think you ever get it back. So I think you had to fire him. And I believe that was our stance at the time you fire Urban Meyer right then right now he hasn't done anything he hasn't proven anything you got to cut it loose right now your 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 main focus is Trevor Lawrence your main focus should not be Urban Meyer whether you're the Jaguars ownership or whatever it is the fans you should be 100% focused on getting Trevor Lawrence right because that's the more concerning issue than a coach that's absolutely trash at coaching So here we go. In the past two weeks alone, sources say receiver Marvin Jones, one of the locker room's most respected and mild-mannered veterans, became so angry with Meyer's public and private criticism of the receiver group that he that he left the facility until other staff members convinced him to come back and had a heated argument with Meyer during practice. So Marvin Jones, the most one of the locker room's most respected players. So once again, the players respect him. They don't respect Urban Meyer. And this dude is saying, I can't even be around this man. And when he is around this man, he's erupting into furious rage, even though he's mild-mannered. So what's that? Get rid of Urban Meyer right now. It's ruining the locker room. It's hurting Trevor Lawrence's development. And you're going to be a trash team again for the next decade like y'all have been. Urban Meyer is not worth it, folks. Why is he worth it? Because he won in college. Yeah, Nick Saban won in college as well. And he trashed. He was trashing the NFL. So what are we doing here? Another thing here. We got three things. That was the first thing that has happened over the last two weeks. Over the last two weeks alone. The last two weeks alone. Here we go. And he's only been here for a year, folks. It's not like, well, you know, he's been here for five years and this is the first time that we've really ever seen anything bad. No, no, no. Two weeks. The last two weeks into his first season here. Next thing up, during a staff meeting, Meyer delivered a biting message that he's a winner and his assistant coaches are losers. According to several people informed 
of the contents of the meeting, challenging each coach individually to explain when they've ever won and forcing them to defend their defend their resumes. Oh my God, how humiliating is that? Could you imagine being in like a meeting and be like, and, and your boss is just like, all right, what have you done for the company? What have you, Sarah, done for this company over the last week, over the last month? What have you done? Have you made the company any money? You haven't? Okay, next, Bill. What have you done for the company? Nothing exactly. You know what I have done for the company? I have made multi-million dollar deals for the company. I have brought this company to the next level. Sarah, have you ever brought the company to the next level? Oh, you haven't? Oh, that sucks. I have. I have. I'm a winner, folks. Y'all are a bunch of losers. I have hired a bunch of losers out here, and y'all losing is making me lose. So who is the main loser right here? It's y'all. Y'all are losing. Y'all better start winning. Y'all better start winning so we can win, and I can be the winner again. This is what's going on here, folks. And you still want this dude as the head coach? Oh, my goodness. Last thing. What else? How worse could it get? He's losing the respect of the most respected player in the locker room. He's calling all of his coaches losers. What's this last thing on tap here? Contrary to his public statements that it was an injury-related that it was injury-related, Meyer ordered Robinson's benching after an opening drive fumble in last week's 37-7 road loss to the Rams. Then had running backs coach Bernie Paramelli stop Robinson from re-entering the game, insisting Carlos Hyde, who played for Meyer at Ohio State, stay in. Only after Lawrence questioned Meyer on the sideline about Robinson's absence was Robinson allowed to return late in the second quarter. Speaking to reporters this week, Lawrence said, quote, bottom line is James is one of our best players and he's got to be out on the field and we addressed it. And I feel like we're in a good spot in the whole team. We are good. So, Okay, I don't mind, you know, you benching a running back for fumbling the ball. I mean, Bill Belichick does it all the time and nobody bats an eye. So this one isn't as glaring. Uh, you do maybe have some, a little bit of nepotism with the Carlos Hyde because he played for Urban Meyer, all that. And then it's a little fishy that only after Trevor Lawrence said something, then they put James Robinson back because Urban Meyer maybe was caught and, you know, somebody noticed and they, you know, said something, say something, see something, say something, speak up. Okay, good words to live by. Trevor Lawrence did that. So um, I don't think this is the most glaring issue. The first other two were way more glaring than this last one. Still not great, but man, oh, man. Alrighty, let's keep going here in the article. Several Jaguars players vented their frustration to Rams players after that game. They're talking to the team that absolutely just routed them in <laughs> expressing their frustrations. I mean, folks, come on, folks. You got to get rid of Ermeyer right now. Um, reiterating a common complaint that Meyer, who had no prior NFL experience, doesn't treat them like adults. And there it is, folks. There it is. He can coach young men, growing men in college. Grown men are different. You must treat them like grown men. You can't get away with the same tactics that work coaching up young men. It does not work, folks. 
um, didn't treat them like adults. And the staff meeting follows a pattern of tense interactions between Meyer and his assistants dating back to the offseason. After opening the preseason with consecutive losses, for instance, sources say Meyer informed assistants that he was sick of being embarrassed. And if the team didn't start winning immediately, some of them wouldn't be around for a second year. You're not going to be around for a second year. You're threatening to fire other coaches because you are losing? Come on, man. You're the head coach. You are the main root of the problem. Man, oh, man. There, there has been staff turnover since Meyer arrived in January for a variety of reasons. Meyer's hand-picked strength and conditioning coach, Chris Doyle, he resigned under pressure in February after renewed focus on the allegations of racial remarks that he had led that had led to Doyle's separation agreement at the University of Iowa in 2020. So these are the guys. If Urban Meyer can hand-pick his guys, he's picking racist. So that's not great. Are you either... Uh, either. And Urban Meyer speaks to his personality, hiring other racists. He also hired special teams coordinator Brian Schneider. He took a leave of absence in May for personal reasons and did not return. Meyer's chief of staff, Fernando Lovo, left the team last month to return to the University of Texas. Tight ends coach Tyler Bowen is expected to become offensive coordinator at Virginia Tech, according to college sports and recruiting site. Uh, on 3.com and more staff changes are expected after the season even assuming Meyer stays <laughs> oh my god there have been other mishaps in July the NFL fined Jaguars to uh, 200,000 and Meyer 100,000 for violating rules and organize, organized team activities and docked them the two OTA days in 2020 remember they lost their OTAs coming up this season because or, or Meyer didn't know the rules in September, the NFL Players Association announced it was launching an investigation after Meyer acknowledged to reports that the team factored vaccination status into cutdown decisions, even though you weren't allowed to do that. And, of course, there were... There were the October viral videos, which were shot in the days following a 24-21 loss to the Bengals that dropped Jacksonville to 0-4. Meyer apologized publicly in to the team, telling players days later he had too much to drink and acted like an asshole idiot. Khan released a somewhat tepid statement of support for Meyer, calling his conduct, quote, inexcusable, and adding, quote, I appreciate Urban's remorse, which I believe is sincere. Now he must regain our trust and respect, which he obviously hasn't a la James Robinson a la uh, Marvin Jones and all that still not respecting him um, and he must regain our trust and respect that will require a personal commitment from Urban which he has not done to everyone who supports represents or plays for our team I am confident he will deliver well you shouldn't have been that confident because he has not delivered he's calling all the assistants losers and everybody else has no respect for him the Jaguars actually won two of their next four games, ending a 20-game franchise losing streak and giving Meyer his first NFL win over the Dolphins in London on October 17th before stunning the Bills 9-6 three weeks later. But they haven't won since, and signs of progress have faded, with a high-profile coach who, along with Lawrence, was supposed to bring fans back to TIA Bank Field. The Jaguars currently rank 30th in the NFL in attendance. Khan made his fortune in the car bumper business. Car bumper business? That's how you make money? Damn, car bumper business. Man, oh man, it's that lucrative? 
Jeez, I should have got into the car bumper business. Damn it. Alrighty, Khan made his fortune in the car bumper business, learning the value of building processes over time, and he has applied that mentality to NFL ownership. He struck with he stuck with coach Gus Bradley into a fourth season despite Bradley's 14-48 and 48 record with a young rebuilding team. Once again, get rid of Urban Meyer because this is what we're getting with a young rebuilding team. You go 14-48. and 48. Bradley's successor, Doug, Mc, Doug Marone, lasted for four full seasons, taking the Jaguars to the AFC Championship game after the 2017 season but finishing just 23-48 and 48 before his uh, dismissal after last season. In October, Khan told NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport days after Jaguars' first win in mid-October that he, quote, absolutely has faith in Meyer and expanded on his statement about the videos, saying, quote, I don't think this is NFL football. And saying, quote, you're on stage at all time and you have to be absolutely self-aware. So that's what we've got with Urban Meyer, folks. An absolutely disgrace to the NFL and absolutely disgrace to coaches everywhere. You are not a coach. You are nothing. You have not really won anything. I put all the success on the players now that we see this side of Urban Meyer. I put all the success of those winning teams of Florida and Ohio State on the players. Oh, yeah. Remember at Florida with Tim Tebow, an NFL player. And, uh, you know, the, that tight end that, unfortunately, you know, we all know what happened with him. Uh, so, you know, and, you know, winning with those professional players, it's not Urban Meyer getting it done, folks. So fire Urban Meyer immediately, immediately, immediately. Get rid of this clown, clown. Clowns bring in other clowns. This man brought in Tim Tebow. Clowns on clowns, folks. Clowns stick together. All righty. Um, all right. Let's um. All right. Let's go to our film study here. We gotta watch Lamar Jackson from last week. Ravens at Steelers. This was our last film study we have to fit in. Uh, couldn't get it to in Wednesday show. Couldn't do it yesterday. Couldn't do it on Friday. Yesterday was Friday. Whatever. Um, Ravens at Steelers. Our last film study looking at Lamar Jackson and seeing his passing skills. Should we be worried about Lamar Jackson throwing the ball? Um, everyone calls him a running back, not a true quarterback. And you know We haven't really been diving too deep into that narrative this season. But we probably should And that's what we're going to do here um, Especially since the Ravens are facing the Browns this week And we have so much pressure on Kevin Stefanski this week To get the win He's lost his first three meetings against the Ravens and we do think Kevin Stefanski is an above-average head coach in this league. He showed out last season absolutely getting it done, but this season taking a little bit of a step back. So we got to see him truly clean it up in the back end and try to make that playoff push and definitely beat the Ravens for the first time in his career. So, um, and it's real easy. The last three weeks, it's been nothing but Ravens on the brain for Kevin Stefanski. They faced the Ravens two weeks ago, or three weeks ago. They go into the bye. Now they're facing the Ravens again. So it's not like you had to think about beating the Ravens and then beating the Patriots and the Steelers and then off the bye and then the Ravens. No, no, no. It was Ravens by Ravens. So you've only thought about the Ravens for the last three, four weeks here. Big, big pressure on Kevin Stefanski. And it is our bonus bet. We are betting that Kevin Stefanski gets it done this week. We are taking the Browns straight up. We are not swallowing the three on the money line. We are taking them on or we're taking them on the money, money line, not swallowing the three on the spread line. 
So let's watch Lamar Jackson. We're gonna go through all of his passes here, um, and I've got um, on my notes here sectioned off into zero to five yard throws, five to ten yard throws, ten to fifteen yard throws, and then fifteen plus yard throws. So we're gonna watch all of Lamar Jackson throws. Uh, we're gonna kind of kill two birds with one stone here. Seeing, should we be worried about Lamar Jackson's passing? You know, four interceptions against the Browns. You know, nothing really great in the Steelers' performance, only putting up 19 points. That kind of throw up, uh, you know, just kind of lackadaisical pass by Lamar Jackson that gets intercepted. Uh, was that first drive? Yeah, very first drive. Uh, so we'll watch Lamar Jackson as a passer. Uh, should we be kind of siding with the narrative that he is not a good quarterback and just a great running back? Or should we be kind of on the narrative that, hey, this is a true dual threat quarterback that can run and pass equally as good? So we'll watch all the throws and then, you know, going along with it, thinking about Kevin Stefanski and what he should be focusing on this week defensively on how to come up with the game plan to stop Lamar Jackson. Should they just be focused on the run? Should they be focused on the pass? What do we got going on here? So let's watch some of these plays or all of Lamar Jackson's throwing. Let's remind y'all of what he did last week against the Steelers. Lamar Jackson passing went 23 of 37 for 253 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Let's get the completion percentage in a number here. We got 23 of 37, and that is 62%, so a little bit lower than we like. We like 62 to 65. It's 62, so right on that kind of lower edge of what we like. He's got 253 yards with 23 completions. That doesn't show us dink and dunk, so that's great. And one touchdown, one interception. Don't love one-to-one -one touchdown to interception ratio, but, you know, that last – that last the, the, the one touchdown came – at the very end of the game. So that shows a little bit of clutch. So let's see what we get here. Lamar Jackson throwing the ball. Here we go. First play. All right, hang on. We might have to sign out and sign back in here. We know NFL.com, folks. Absolutely trash website. Um, just absolutely everything about it is just absolutely garbage. Uh, so we'll probably have to sign back in here for because they they can't keep us. We are signed in, we have it, but they make us sign out, sign back in. It's nonsense, folks. We do this every single week, and it's just absolutely, it gets worse every single week, honestly. Uh, our Wednesday film study days are just so frustrating because we have to jump through hoops just to watch some plays that we actively pay for, folks. This is a paid service that we pay for, Jesus Louise. But here we go. Enough of the nonsense. Let's get into some of these throws here by Lamar Jackson, right? Jeez, we got to see this man sling this ball around or attempt to sling this ball around. We got to make our mind up. So here we go. Getting back to the game here. We logged out. We're logged back in. Back to the game. We'll set the replays to broadcast, see what they look like on kind of, you know, what we all see. And then if we need to take it in the all 22 to seeing, see if he missed a throw or anything like that, we can do that as well. So here we go. First throw up by Lamar Jackson. Very first drive. It goes for 14 yards. So let's see how this looked. Was it a dink and dunk that broke big? What did this look like? So here we go. First throw up here by Lamar Jackson. Play action. Plenty of time to throw, and he's just going to dink it down. Little safety blanket. And this was like a one-yard throw. We get the line of scrimmage right here. He threw it like two yards. So it was, was this a good throw? Was this an accurate pass? Let's watch this one one more time. 
Here we go. It's wide open. He doesn't take any shot down the field, and then he just dinks it down right here. It's on the money. It's on target, so we will give him a check mark here for a good throw, but it is in the 0-5 column. So we're tracking throw length, throw, th uh, throw length and accuracy and all that as we're progressing once again to see what Kevin Stefanski should be building as the game plan. Are they just dinking and dunking and running? Are they airing it out healthily? Do you still need to defend both? That's what we're a little bit figuring out here, but still focusing on Lamar Jackson as a passer as well. So just dinked it down right here. It breaks big because the Steelers were not playing the underneath route. So overall, it picked up 10 yards. That's still a good play overall. Let's quickly bring this in the L22. I mean, he had plenty of time to throw this ball. Was there just nothing open? Did he make the right read? So here we go. We got three kind of receivers lined up going down the field. And everything is very well covered. You got this shot up here. But by the time, Lamar Jackson already threw the ball. So, I mean, we're not going to count that. So, yeah, Lamar Jackson made the right decision right there nothing open checked it down got the first down picked up 14 yards all righty here we go his next pass we get an incompletion here second and second and ten uh, just across midfield, let's watch Lamar Jackson on this one. Here we go. Lamar Jackson just over midfield, starting to drive, dropping back the pass. And this one is, um, this one seemed to be good on target. Let's watch this one one more time. Trying to hit Mark Andrews on a crossing route over the middle of the field. Lamar Jackson just, uh, man, oh, man, I can't really tell. Was this a breakup or was this just a kind of a uh, little bit out? In front of Mark Andrews. Let's see if we can pause this. See it. Ball coming in. And I think that gets tipped away by the Steelers defender. That seemed to be a little bit behind Mark Andrews in, to in total. And for that, it gets broken up by the defender. So that was a 5-10 to ten yard throw that was behind. That is a X for Lamar Jackson. Not a good throw right there. That brings up third and 10, and they pass the ball here. So this is going to be a clutch throw. They pick it up. They convert third and 10. Let's see how they do it. Here we go. Lamar Jackson dropping back to pass and just dinks it down on a nice little crossing route. This time it's on target to the back out of the backfield. I believe this is uh, Latavius Murray right here. But, uh, yeah, the back just kind of skirts out. That's right. Right on target, right on stride, and because it's right in stride, he's able to go for the first down another eight yards right there. So on a zero to five yard throw initially, that was a good on target throw. Alrighty, next throw here. Where where is it? Next throw, we get an incomplete pass. Alrighty, alrighty, another incompletion here. Does he go deep? Let's see what we get here on first and ten incompletion here at the Steelers 32 yard line. Once again, driving here. This results in an interception at the end of the drive here, and this ball gets batted. But uh, he was taking the check down right here. So let's uh, watch this one one more time. All right, let's go back here. Hang on, I think we gotta go back too. Uh, but yeah, he just tries to go over the middle of the field on a nice little dink route, and it gets broken up at the line of scrimmage, batted down. Let's see quickly, was there anything kind of open he should have uh, tried to go to? Just takes the dink down again. So we'll call it a good, we'll call it a, do we call that a good throw? I don't want to call it a bad throw. It got broken up. Is that a bad throw? Threw it a little bit too low where it could get batted down? All right, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll call it an X for a 0-5 to five yard pass right there. 
Alrighty, next pass here. Where do we go? Where do we go? We get an 18-yard pass. So we get an 18-yard pass here and then the interception. So back-to-back -back throws, one good, one pick. Let's see what we get here on second and 24. Lamar Jackson dropping back to pass. Plenty of time to throw and then dinks it down again for what? One, two, three, four yards down the field. It's accurate. It's on target. But once again, just dinking it down. Dinking it. it does go big, though. So once again, this is what the Ravens offense is. And this is why it's so hard to truly get a good gauge on Lamar Jackson. Because whatever you say about Lamar Jackson, A, he's a winner. And B, he's always within striking distance. No matter what happens, four interceptions, they, they win the game. One interception, they still got it. And they moved the ball down in the final drive and was a two-point conversion away from winning the game. So um, that's what makes it's just so hard uh, on Lamar Jackson. Everyone calls this man a trash quarterback and all that, but he's winning and he's moving the ball and he's still able to push the ball deep when he can and when he wants to. We haven't seen it in this game, but we have seen it this season and all that. So, and you know, once again, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, those three quarterbacks, they could do whatever the hell they want during the game. Throw five picks, throw no touchdowns, uh, struggle to move the ball in the first quarter, second quarter, the entire third quarter, and then turn it on in the fourth quarter. Those three quarterbacks can do whatever the hell they want and still will be in the game down, you know, within one possession on the final drive. They will always be like that because they get it done overall. It may not not look pretty it may not look pretty for an entire stretch of weeks on end but those three quarterbacks will always be in it these are winning quarterback folks we just saw Tom Brady three interceptions in the NFC championship game and beat Aaron Rodgers we just saw like we said Lamar Jackson throw four interceptions uh against the Browns and still win the game Patrick Mahomes getting to Super Bowls turning over the ball like so many interceptions this season but still right at the top of the AFC top you know four teams top three teams of the AFC so, you know, whatever your opinion of them as pure passing quarterbacks are, it really doesn't matter because they get it done. In the game of football, there you can move the ball more than just throwing the ball, like um, just kind of classically dropping back and passing the ball. You can move the ball other ways. And why all these underneath routes are kind of opened up is because you must respect, you know, Lamar Jackson's big breakability down the field running-wise. You've got to respect the speed, Marquise Hollywood Brown, uh, deep deep down the field. So, you know, it's still, it's hard to truly gauge the overall Ravens offense in Lamar Jackson pure passing in that regard. But we're trying our damnedest right here, folks, so let's keep it up. Uh, we did give him a check mark for this throw because it was a good throw and it was on target, and we are putting it in the 0-5 to five, uh, category. Let's also take this one in the All-22. You know, I know it's hard here. It's second in uh, 24. You know, it's hard to, you know, pick this up here. But let's see. Was there anything open? Should he have taken the deep shot? Should he have taken a chance? Let's see what we get here. Everybody going deep here. And, yeah, uh, no, no. You've got this safety right over the middle of the field. They read it perfectly. I mean, this defense here of the Steelers are truly locking up everything fantastic here. They're letting you throw the underneath route. And then, you know, they make the play. They make the pick coming up very uh, right next. So let's watch the pick now. 
So maybe this should be the defense here by Kevin Stefanski going into this week of, hey, let's give everything up underneath. We'll come up and make the tackles. We're not giving up the big plays. We're not letting Lamar Jackson use his feet, but we will let you dink and dunk. And then once the field shrinks and, you know, you can't really dink and dunk anymore, we can't get beat over the top, so we can protect the over the top because there's not that much field left and we can predict the dink and dunk. That's when we make our move. That's when we make our strike from kind of the 25 onward. So let's see what this interception looked like here and what Kevin Stefanski should try to be replicating right here. So here we go. Third and six at the 10-yard line. Empties out the backfield. Pressure right up the middle, and Lamar Jackson just throws it up. Once again, exactly what we say. Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, um, Tom Brady, they feel like they can make all these throws and try to do too much. That's why they don't love to live for the, another down because they don't have to live for another down because they will always be in the game on the final drive and they all trust themselves with the ball in the hand on the final drives a la Lamar Jackson on this drive unfortunately couldn't get the two-point conversion even though he goes down and drives you know the touchdown we all know um, so, uh, this throw right here is absolutely atrocious. You cannot throw this ball, pressure in your face, over the middle of the field, falling back, pedaling right here. You cannot throw this ball right here. And uh, this is going to go, he threw it from the 25 yard, or no, we got to count it from uh, the line of scrimmage. That's what we're throwing, uh, counting it from. So, this is um, 10 plus, we count this like 10 to 15, so this is a bad 10 to 15 yard throw right here. By Lamar Jackson. So that's how the first drive uh, ended. They were all dinking and dunking. It was moving the ball. They got into the red zone. They got to the 10-yard line. But the interception ill-advised there because he knows he can get away with it. Uh, pay, uh, Steelers don't do anything with this ball. They punt. So interception, yeah, you don't come up with any points, but you don't give up any points either. It's still a 0-0 game. All right, here we go. Next drive. We get a, two passes here back-to-back. -back. They ran the ball for minus one yard, sets up second and 11, and we're going to get back-to-back -back passes right here. So here we go. Motions out the back and then takes a strike here. Boom. There we go. Oh, my God. Is this dropped by Mark Andrews? Come on. Got to pick this up. It seemed like a decent throw, maybe a little bit behind here. Yeah, he, he threw it uh, behind here. So, overall, not a great throw. Yes, it was still a – oh, it should have been a completion. It was a drop here by Mark Andrews. But you throw this one in stride, he's able to pick up this first down, not come back and, you know, move, you know, go where the defender was. Uh, so this is a 5-10 to 10 yard pass. It was like a 9 yard down the field, but it was not accurate. That was not a good throw overall. It should still be, should have been caught, folks, but we're focusing on Lamar Jackson's passing. Like That's what we're focusing in on. Accuracy and all that. So sets up 3rd and 11 right here. Let's see what we get. Here we go. Dropping back to pass and then dinks it down to Hollywood Brown on third and 11. I mean, hey, let's see. Was this accurate? I see him trying to like turn back in towards the ball here. So here we go. Um... Uh, he, I don't know. Was this? I don't know what this route was supposed to be. We see Marquise Brown instantly moving inside right here. But I mean, if you throw this one in stride on the money, he's taking this inside. Uh, you have to make him turn back in, and then he goes out. Because that's already where he is, and then he's trying to go back in. So I think overall, this is a bad pass. I think Lamar Jackson was supposed to throw this inside. All the blocking was kind of good inside, so you run inside. But the way Lamar Jackson threw this ball for Marquise Brown, where he had to kind of turn back inside... So he had to kind of break outside off the route. So I'm saying it's a bad pass here. Zero to five yard, not even on the money, not even accurate, folks. So they have to punt the ball now. 
Unfortunate. They don't come away with any points. Steelers don't come away with any points. Now we're going to get a touchdown drive. Let's see what this looked like, what this touchdown drive looked like. Here we go. They're backed up to their one-yard line, folks, and they go 99 yards. Once again, why Lamar Jackson doesn't care about throwing the interception? Because it doesn't matter. Go 99 yards. He will go right back and be in another position to score the ball three, seven points, regardless what it is. It doesn't matter with the turnovers. They're always in the game, always threatening, always knocking on scoring, even if they're starting on the one-yard line, folks. So here we go. Let's see what this pass looks like. Play action. Throws the ball. There it is. Um, to the fullback out of the backfield. It's it's. Uh, I would classify it as not good. It's a little bit too much inside. But overall, it was a completion. It was decent. But it's a zero to five yard pass right here. Let's watch this one one more time. Just a little, a little, just too much. Put it out in front. Can you put this? Put it where it needs to be, Lamar Jackson. It's a little bit too much. You had to kind of reach back a little bit. It's nothing big. It's nothing major. But it's still a little bit. It's still a little bit not great. So I'll give him the credit for it. We'll give him a check there for it. Uh, picks up nine yards. Great second effort by him. Uh, number 42 right there. All right, then we get a run play, run play, two-yard sack, nine-yard pass. All right, we're back to passing. Here we go. Where are they at at the field? We get a third and seven. Ooh, big, crucial pass right here on their own 16-yard line. Dropping back to pass, stepping up in the pocket, dinks it down again. Mark Andrews goes for it. This is a good pass. It's out in front of Mark Andrews, propels him forward. But once again, it's just a dink. This is a zero-yard pass. He throws it right on the line of scrimmage right there. So it's a good pass, but it's zero to five yards. So, you know, once again, just letting them throw underneath. It's a third and seven, not trying to get the big play on this Ravens team, which they're known for, the big play down the field. So after this play, we get a three-yard run, eight-yard run, a five-yard penalty, and then a passing completion here, and then another big play uh, by a passing play, very next play. So here we go. 23 uh, passing completion and then a 23-yard pass play. So here we go. Play action and then just, oh, my goodness, almost intercepted right here. Once again, not throwing the ball high enough, getting batted at kind of the line of scrimmage and almost picked off right there. So not a good pass. This was going to be kind of about, uh, we got about 5 to 10 yards down the field right here, kind of like 9, 10 yards right here. Um, so this is not a good throw for a 5-10 to 10 yarder. Still low, still able to get kind of broken up right at the line of scrimmage right there by the defender jumping up and breaking on the ball. So still not a good throw. Here we go, second and 15. This one goes big. Let's see why. Was it a dink and dunk that went big? And yeah, here it is. Just a dink on the left side on the right sideline. And um, I thought this play went big. Let's go back here. Did they, oh, they get a penalty. Is that what it was? What happened here? Um, penalty, unsportsmanlike contact. So that's where all those yards came from on this play. It wasn't Lamar Jackson getting the big play right here. And here we go. Uh, let's watch this one. Was this in stride on target? That was in stride on target. Negative one yard, though. We don't have a column for that, so we'll still put this one in the zero to five yard range. That was a good throw. All righty, let's go to the next pass. Let's keep going here, finding more passing plays. Here we go, two-yard pass to a 10-yard pass. Back-to-back -back passing plays. Let's see what Lamar Jackson's looking like here. Second and 12, just over midfield, dropping back to pass, and then he just dinks it down. It's right on the money right there for a zero to five-yard pass to Mark Andrews, the tight end. We'll give him a good pass right there. 
All right, next play. Third and 10. Got to pick this up. Got to keep the drive alive. Got to keep the ball moving. Here we go. Lamar Jackson dropping back the pass, shifting all in the pocket, finding Mark Andrews again for about nine yards. And is this right on the money? Let's watch this one one more time. It's low. It's a little... um. It's low, but overall, it's not bad. Mark Andrews reaching out for it and just gets that first down. So, 5 to 10 yard. We'll give him a solid pass right there. It got to him low and away. All righty. Alrighty, next pass. Where are we at? Where do we got? Here we go. Next play. Four-yard run, five-yard run, five-yard penalty. And then here we go, a 29-yard pass. Let's see what this big play looks like, right? We were disappointed in the last big play because all the yards came from the personal um, unsportsmanlike conduct. So here we go, third and six at the Steelers' 32-yard line. Uh, going over the middle of the field. Now that's what we're talking about, a big strike over the middle of the field on third and six, being aggressive, getting the ball up over that first line of defense of the linebackers dropping it right into Mark Andrews right there. That's a good ball to fit that in a tight window. And I believe this is like 15 yards down the field. This is from the 32. And here we go. Let's. Uh, I believe he catches it at the 10-yard line. So this is going to be a 15-plus yard play right there, getting it all the way down to the 10-yard line. So that's a good throw there by Lamar Jackson. Not a great throw, but still a good throw. It's aggressive, third and six, and that's what this Ravens offense is all about. And once again, why it's hard to truly get a full picture of just comparing Lamar Jackson to just classic quarterbacking. Our classic, what makes quarterbacks good? What are good quarterback throws of just general quarterbacks? We know Lamar Jackson is kind of uh, uh, an outlier on what he is overall as a quarterback. So he got the ball there, uh, but once again, this is what it builds up for. All the dink and dunks, all the quick action, it results into this window being open because this is what the Ravens offense is. Um, so that was a good throw there. Gets it down to the two-yard line. Let's see how they capitalize off on this touchdown. It's a three-yard run by Deontay Foreman. Deontay Freeman. Um, so that's a touchdown drive right there by Lamar Jackson. It wasn't anything special. Dink and dunks, go big. Uh, and then that big shot to Mark Andrews once again, resulting, you know, throwing to tight ends, throwing to running backs, which we don't love to see by classic quarterbacks all the time. But this offense of the Ravens, that's kind of what it is. All right, let's keep going with this next drive here. Uh, let's go to this. Uh, we get a three-yard pass. Start of the next drive, we get a three-yard pass and then a couple of runs. So let's watch this pass here. Here we go. They're up 7-0. Once again, they had the lead. The interception doesn't even matter. Got the lead right here. Here we go. 7-0. Play action pass. Pressure coming. Just trying to get rid of it quickly. Really uh, decently accurate right here. Just kind of a setup play right here. Set up a little bit of a, yeah, just set this man up to give them the ball. So zero to five yard pass. It's good. It's good. We'll give him a credit for it. A nice little check. Uh, decently on target. We'll give him a little credit. All right, then they go run play, run play, five-yard penalty, a nine-yard sack, and then a 10-yard pass to another sack, and then they have to punt. So let's see what this 10-yard pass play looks like on second and 19. Empty backfield, plenty of time to throw, and then just dinks it down. Zero to five yards, good throw. Marquise Brown only picks up 10 yards. Let's uh, watch this play again in the All-22. Was there anything open? And then we'll watch the next play in the All-22 as well to see why. Why he took the sack should he have gotten rid of the ball and all that so here we go back to the play why did I did this change um 
yeah, we want to go to this one right here. Here we go. All right. Second and 19. He dinks it down. Five wide right here. Let's see. Anything open here by Lamar Jackson he should have thrown the ball to. Uh, nothing down the field. Oh, yeah, you've got this receiver right here down the field. This receiver took the inside safety, and this guy is does not have any more help over the top. So Lamar Jackson could have taken the shot right here at the bottom of the screen. The nice double move instantly beat right there. This safety takes this other receiver. I mean, this is why you run, you know, five wide to open up specific receivers. And this receiver is wide open. Lamar Jackson's not even looking to the right side of the field and dinks it down right there. A little bit high and once again, a little bit behind. So this is a uh, zero to five yard throw of uh, five to ten. Where they? I got to bring it back in the broadcast, folks. Just to see, was this five, zero to five yards or ten to or five to ten yards where we should be classifying this throw? So here we go. Let's see where this ball was kind of caught. At the 40-yard line is where the line of scrimmage is, and he throws it at kind of the 45. So I'm putting this zero to five. I know we should have done six to ten. I know, I know that's I ruined it because uh, zero to five, five to ten, five can go in both categories, folks. That's classic uh, um, a math term right there. I'm not. Uh, um, not remembering what the actual term and all that you're supposed to do when you're making lists, uh, when you're making like polls, uh, you know, you have to do zero to 10 and then 11 to 20 and then 21 to 30 and all that. So they don't, so nothing can go in both categories. We digress. We're putting this one zero to five yards and it wasn't even that great. It was a little bit high and above. Um, so, and there was something else open. So I'm going to give him an X for this one. And then here we go. The next play, it results into a sack. Let's see. Was there anything open? Should he have gotten rid of this ball? Was he just trying to be too fancy with it? And here we go. It's just right up the middle right there. Um, and then he's coming back and just trying to run with it. So nothing great right there. He tries to run with it. Um, pressure got there immediately. And then he went into running mode. All right, um, last drive of the half here for the Ravens. We may end it right here. I think we've seen enough of Lamar Jackson, uh, but let's see what we get on this final drive, and then we'll make our decision. So here we go. We get a pass play right here. They're up 7-3, 26 seconds at their own 25-yard line, just trying to do something, and once again, dinking it down way, way inaccurate because the receiver couldn't even catch it right here, and it was a, a zero-yard pass. It's right on the line of scrimmage. Not good there by Lamar Jackson. All righty, and then here we go. What else do we got here? Any other passes? We get a passing complete that we just watched, an 8-yard run, a 10-yard penalty, and then that's halftime. All right, let's finish it out here by this last drive. Let's watch this last touchdown drive and see what it looked like. Uh, we'll count the passes, and then we will make our final uh, decision on what we need to see here by Kemsfanski and if we classify Lamar Jackson as a good passer. So here we go. First play here of this touchdown drive. It's going to be a five-yard pass, down seven points at their own 40-yard line, under two minutes, one timeout. What do the Ravens look like? Lamar Jackson dinks it down again, and this is a good throw, but it's only for four yards, three four yards down the field nothing great there let's see what else here next play we get a five yard penalty a four yard sack and then a 22 yard pass here we go let's watch this 22 yard pass third and 14 this is a little clutch and we see this Steelers defense everybody's kind of at the uh, at the first down to gain line Lamar Jackson dropping back to pass comfortable in the pocket and striking it over the middle of the field on target on point and this is 14 yards 
the first down. And this is 15 plus yards right there. Accurate as heck. Perfect right there. And the Steelers still give it up. They're all playing back. They're, this is kind of a little bit of a a little bit of a dink and dunk. The Steelers are still all behind these receivers, respecting the speed. All right, uh, what do we got on the next play? We keep passing here. We get an 18-yard pass, 13-yard pass, pass, pass. All right, all these are passes here. So now they're passing the ball here. All right, they're done with the running. 53 seconds left at the Steelers' 42-yard line. Just picked up the first down. Here we go. Lamar Jackson dinks it down, and that's for eight yards. So, and that's complete. That was good. So in the 5-10 to 10 range, that was good. Right, decently on target to the rookie, I believe. All right, picks up the first down. Next play, we're going to get another pass right here. Lamar Jackson, empty backfield again, five wide. What can he do with it? And just slings it down to Sammy Watkins for about uh, four yards. That's a good ball right there, and it propels them. Once again, it's four-yard dink, and it goes for 10 yards, 10-plus 10 yards. That's what this Ravens offense is, so I can't criticize the dink and dunk too much. We can criticize the accuracy, though, and that's what we've been doing. So here you go, Lamar Jackson in the red zone now, and this ball, this is open, and he just misses it. A 10-yard strike that's not accurate. Mark Andrews is wide open right here, but he throws it inside instead of outside, and it's way short where Mark Andrews couldn't even like make a diving play for this ball as he's backpedaling. So a 10 to 15 yard throw. Are we going to put this into 10 to 15 or 5 to 10 range? Uh, this is going to be 5 to 10 range right here. 11 yards to basically through it to the one yard line. So I'm going to put this one 5 to 10 yards. Should this go in the 10 to 15? See, see what I mean? Ugh, ugh. Uh, it would be 11 to 15, 11 to the 1. That's about 10. So I got to put it in the 5 to 10. And this is not a good throw, folks. Inaccurate as heck. And that's inexcusable. This is truly inexcusable. Trying to be clutch. 20 seconds left. I mean, this is a real bad throw. All righty. And then here we go. Lamar Jackson. Next play on 2nd and 10. Four wide receivers here. Dropping back to pass. Hits Sammy Watkins. And this is good. A nice little out route for four yards is just a quick out, quick hitter. And Lamar Jackson puts it decently right here on the money for the receiver to go and get it. Now we'll put this one in the one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to put this in the five to ten because it wasn't really like a dink and dunk route and all that. So that was a good throw on a five to ten yard route. All right, sets up third down, third and five from the six-yard line. 16 seconds left, no timeouts. Lamar Jackson, got to be clutch. Here we go, empty backfield. Lamar Jackson pulls it down, looks for another receiver, and then floats this one to Sammy Watkins, and this is a really good ball right here, folks. I got to bring this out from the end zone view to get an even better look at this one, but this is a great throw here by Lamar Jackson. And why did this go all the way back? Let's get back to this play. Um, they don't have the, oh my God, this is like the only play they don't have the uh, end zone view of the of the pass. How classic is that? How classic is that, folks? So we got to bring this one back in the broadcast. How unfortunate. And try to get the best look that we can through the pause feature. So here we go. Lamar Jackson going to slip this one into Lamar uh, to Sammy Watkins. And, you know, he pulls the ball down, was going to make a read. It wasn't open. Pulls it down checks his other reads and there it is Sammy Watkins well done throws this one right where it needed to be above number 21 right there of the uh, Steelers defender and that's absolutely on the money and well done by Sammy Watkins to finally catch a ball he's been a little struggling here as of late for the Ravens um, and we'll count this one on a 10 to 15 yarder or 5 to 10 
We'll count this. was like five yards deep in the end zone. I'm going to count this one uh, 10 to 15 yards down the field. Uh, no, we'll go 5 to 10. We'll do 5 to 10. Um, and that was a nice strike right there. That was perfect. So, all right. And that was for the touchdown. For the touchdown. And then we'll watch the two-point conversion right here. Unfortunately, does not go. We'll watch this one. Uh, we get pressure off the edge right here. Lamar Jackson has to kind of, you know, fit it in a little bit. It's a good play call. It's open. It's all there. But Lamar Jackson just pressure in his face. Floats it a little bit too much, like an inch too much for Mark Andrews. So overall, that's a 5-10 to 10 yard pass that is unfortunately inaccurate now. There is a stipulation because of the pressure, but it's still a not accurate pass. So of all the passes that we saw, which was the entire first half in the very last drive of the game uh we had in the zero to five yard range category we had one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen throws zero to five yards which we know what this ravens offense is a lot of dink and dunk now of those 16 throws, we had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 good, accurate throws. Five of those were absolutely not great. All right, and then in the 5 to 10 range, we had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 throws. Four of those were good. Four of those were bad. We had one throw in the 10 to 15-yard range, and that was bad. And then we had two throws 15-plus yards down the field, and both of those were good throws. So this Ravens offense, folks, it's the dink and dunk. It's the misdirection. It's the read option. But you also can go down the field with it. Lamar Jackson does have a good arm. I would say he doesn't have a really great consistent arm. He gets a little bit, oh, it's wide open. He just tries to get it there. Settle in, take a breath, and deliver the ball accurately. Now for Kevin Stefanski this week, what should he be doing? You've, I think this Steelers defense played it really well. You give up the dink and dunk. You come up and make the tackle because what we just said, Lamar Jackson is inconsistent with his accuracy. Um, and, you know, they throw a lot of the dink and dunk. So more opportunities for Lamar Jackson to make a mistake. That's what the Browns must kind of do defensively. Let him do the dink and dunk. Don't give up anything big. Don't give up the electric plays. Make Lamar Jackson throw the ball multiple times. Let the drive be. I mean, these touchdown drive, the interception drive, 14 plays. Touchdown play, 19 plays. We get a field goal drive, 11 plays. Um, uh, the touchdown drive, 11 plays. So let them move down the field. Let them make the throws, make the mistakes, because we know Lamar Jackson is not the most consistent, accurate passer. He will make the mistakes. And if you bring pressure on him, the mistakes are kind of exacerbated, exacerbated a lot. So, Kevin Stefanski, that's what we have to see you do. Don't get beat by the dink and dunk. You know they dink and dunk. You know they can also go deep. But give them the dink and dunk. Make Lamar Jackson go down 19, 18, 16, 15 plays to get into scoring position. And you must, you must make them pay on all of their turnovers. That was what killed the Browns in their first meeting. You got it done defensively against Lamar Jackson. You made them throw four interceptions, but you only capitalized on one of those turnovers, folks. Only on one of those turnovers. Alrighty, and then um, quickly should uh, we'll say we can save this for tomorrow's show. Um, just do this quickly. Um, we'll play. We'll do the playoff machine on tomorrow's show as we're doing it. Um, we we're coming back at you live tomorrow, folks. Noon Eastern. 
with our uh, pregame show noon to about noon 55, folks. We'll get out of your hair about 10 to 5 minutes right before kickoff so we can get it uh, situated so y'all can get situated. So we'll be back tomorrow with last second best bets. We'll play around with the playoff machine. Any news, any breaking news, we'll talk through the ins and outs and all that. Last second best bets, all that coming at you tomorrow. What do we got here? Julio Jones had a good week of practice and is trending towards playing this week. That's going to be a huge lift for the Titans. Which we took Titans minus eight this week, folks. So, all right, both Chargers wide receiver Mike Williams and cornerback Chris Harris Jr. are on track to play tomorrow. That's going to be big, definitely for uh, Justin Herbert. Obviously, they're going against the Giants, so it's not going to be that dire to have them back. But you know, getting back-to-back wins is always great. Um, all righty, is that it here? All right, that seems to be it, folks. So we are going to get out of here for today. We're back live tomorrow noon Eastern uh, for our pregame show before Sunday's craziness ensues. All righty, folks. We are out of here. We are back tomorrow live noon Eastern. Have a great one, folks.